0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon from wherever you are in the world, and welcome once more to the Right On Track podcast, the show where we talk about Thomas and Friends and the Railways series. My name is Connor Jonas, and I am not joined alone. I'm joined here by two trusty co-hosts, M. Hi. And Lachlan. Hello. We are currently here at the final three episodes of Series 7 of
1: Thomas and Friends. And, Lachlan, what are those three episodes? So the episodes we'll be looking at are Not So Hasty Puddings, Trusty Rusty, and Three Cheers for Thomas.
0: Three cheers to those episodes right there. So I say we get right into them, and we start with Not So Hasty Puddings, where... Thomas has just caught Sir Topham Hatt and Elizabeth at a level crossing one winter's day. Later, Thomas saw the Fat Controller talking to Elizabeth. The Shodar
2: Pudding Factory is snowed in. Their Christmas puddings must get to the docks before the ship sails for the mainland. Let me do the job. I need you on your line. Besides, Elizabeth knows those roads well. She's very reliable. I'm reliable too, huffed Thomas.
3: Apparently not reliable enough,
2: Elizabeth chuffed.
3: So that was the clip from Not So Hasty Puddings. Uh, Lachlan, would you be able to give us a brief rundown of the episode?
1: So, we see Thomas in a yard somewhere, and Elizabeth comes into the yard with his snowplough, saying, ''Oh, I don't really need it.'' Uh, And then Elizabeth teases Tom, saying that he's not very reliable. Uh, Later, we see Elizabeth tasked with collecting the puddings uh, to send to the docks to be sent to the mainland. Uh, And Thomas is very upset with this, because Elizabeth again teases him, saying he's not very reliable. Thomas goes to the docks, sees that Elizabeth isn't there, and then we find that Elizabeth has skidded all over the roads trying to deliver the puddings to the docks, and she's uh, landed herself in a snowdrift. So Thomas takes Terence and goes and saves her.
0: And they make it to the docks, and a happy end to the episode. Thank you for that, Lachlan. So, no not so hasty puddings by Robin Charteris, also known as not so hasty cakes in the US dub, or in some releases, Thomas and the Avalanche.
1: What? Thomas? Wait, avalanche?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you know that really spectacular scene where there's an avalanche that involves Thomas? Um, did we
1: all watch the same episode?
0: I don't think we did. The guy who came up with the titles obviously didn't. Oh. Because in some releases of this episode, it's known as Thomas and the Avalanche, which I don't understand. But in the US, it is known as Not-So-Hasty Cakes, and there is actually a specific reason for that.
1: Is it because they're not referred to as puddings?
0: If I'm not mistaken, it's more the fact of the US don't so much do Christmas
3: puddings as they do, like, different cakes.
0: Yeah, so the thing is, British English pudding is different to American English pudding. British pudding is like a a conical cake with maybe white icing on the top. You cut it open. It's a bit like a lava cake sometimes. Mm. Meanwhile, American pudding is closer to a bit of a chocolate cream, what we would call a chocolate mousse. okay. And because in this episode they show the logo of the Sodor Puddin Factory, which looks nothing like an American pudding, it looks a bit more like an American cake, that's why it was probably renamed to Not So Hasty Cakes.
3: Even though in the episode it still has the
0: Sodor Pudding sign at the front... They can't fix everything. However, one thing I've noticed, the Welsh dubs and releases of the episodes often have the signs translated into Welsh. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, Oh, that's lovely. Such as in Harold and the Flying Horse, the Mm. Sodor Summer Fate sign is translated into Welsh. Same all the way back in Series 1 with the danger signs. Engines must not pass this board. Is that done digitally, like, or is that done? I'm fairly sure it's done digitally because um, the shots are identical apart from the text. Right, but, but yes. So this episode, it's really, really special. I feel because it is the first real Christmas story that we've gotten in a long time. Yes, if you think all the way back, the last proper Christmas story we had was Series Three. Thomas and Percy's Christmas Adventure, or Americans, Thomas and Percy's Mountain Adventure. And since then, we've had endings with the narrow gauge Engines or Tom Tipper. You had the episode Snow in Series 5, but uh, that's just Snow. Mm. So this is actually the first proper time that we've returned to the idea of
1: Christmas. I think it's probably because Riders and the Truths and everything realised that this is probably the last series they're going to be working on. So they're like, oh, okay, let's try like, sort of return to our roots and go back to another Christmas episode. Even though it's not the very last episode, Mm. it's still, like, at the end of the season, I guess. Oh,
0: absolutely. And because of that, you see lots of wonderful winter footage. Like, I mean, any time that Sodor is in snow, it is beautiful. I don't care that snow is cold and sometimes dangerous. It is absolutely beautiful, especially on Sodor.
3: I guess you kind of like Thomas in that you think it's silly soft
0: stuff, but it's just absolutely beautiful. It is. It's... I love it. And because of that, we get some amazing stock footage, such as the Flying Kipper. Yeah. More Series 1 stock footage. We see the Scarlet Railway Viaduct in the snow. We see Castle Lock in the snow. And we also see your favorite M, Suttery Castle in the snow.
3: We do, we do. It's absolutely amazing. Unfortunately. Unfortunately? Unfortunately. It is also the very last time we see Suttery Castle in an episode.
0: Like, me, Lachlan, are, are you a big fan of Suttery Castle? Uh, guess. I do. I do like it castle yeah but like specifically suttery castle
1: uh well no
0: no i guess neither am i Uh, i'm disappointed guys i don't really mind that we're just missing a castle granted the set has been around since series one i just think the set's absolutely beautiful and you know it's very sad
3: that we lose an iconic set like that Fair, fair we lose the iconic set but like i'm i'm not too upset about it yeah, I've, I've been kind of disappointed
0: the last couple of uh, episodes because you know we've lost uh, Duke. Yes, and... we lost Duke. Now, now we're losing Suttery <sighs> Castle. You had last proper Harold episode.
3: <laughs> can, can we stop losing people, please? Yes. <laughs> can we stop losing peoples and scenes? Is that too much to ask? Well,
0: we're not losing people in this episode apart from Suttery Castle because Elizabeth has returned. And, also, thanks to
3: stock footage from the Flying Kipper, we see Henry in his old shape again. I think it kind
1: of goes back into my theory that everyone who was working on the show at the time knew it was sort of the end for, who was it, Ghislaine at this point in time? So they probably went back and were like, okay, let's just do some callbacks to, you know, the the first lot of episodes. I mean, I think even the fact that Thomas doesn't like his snowplow and being in the snow is a callback to the very early seasons.
0: Yeah, it's it's continuity from uh, Thomas Terence in the Snow, of course, based off the fourth railway series book, Tank Engine Thomas Again, a story in there. A- and Thomas still dislikes his snowplow. I really like it when you've just got these patterns that are always consistent with the character. And it's not necessarily something that they learn from, but it's just like, yes, Gordon is always boastful, James is always vain, Thomas always dislikes his snowplow, and I Mm. love that. But what I feel this episode really excels in, though, the tiny, tiny details. For example, the clip we just played has got Elizabeth at level crossing, and being an old sentinel steam lorry, you can see spirals of smoke coming from Elizabeth's funnel. Mm. And it's not big and loud like all the other steam engines. It's just subtle, and it's so good. Another thing is, we also have got the return of Terence, who helped cleared Elizabeth from the snow, and he's got his own snow plan on. Mmm, he really does. Whilst we do have Terence return, he doesn't speak, sadly. And this is, for such an iconic character, his last appearance until the 10th series song, H is for Harold, and his last episode until series 21. That's a long way away. That's what we reviewed so far three times over, and then we see him again. So we'll be at episode 162? 172?
3: I don't even want to think about it.
0: Yeah, when we review that, we will be far, far ahead. Terence, we won't even remember the name.
1: We're going to be very old men by then. I will be old and a hermit.
3: Anyway...
0: Now, there is something about this episode that I'm not so sure many people realise, but this is the only appearance of Hackenbeck. Mmm, yeah, it is. For those that don't know, Hackenbeck is a little station on Thomas's Branch Line. It's a railway series location that we rarely saw, and now this is the only time we ever see it in the TV series. There's just one thing where he's going through a snowy valley and he just stops at a single station, and that is Hackenbeck. It's such a simple set, but
3: it is there. The thing that I really, uh, I kind of relate to is the fact controller's apparent love for Christmas puddings. Uh, every Christmas, I've got to have one. Mm. It's not Christmas without a Christmas pudding,
0: I tell ya. I will say, so Topham Hat's characterization here, in Not So Hasty Cakes is just so pleasing. I really like it. Especially because there are some things he says that are a little bit weird. For example, Elizabeth has gone missing. A rescue team has been sent out with Thomas and Terrence, okay? They come back to the docks, and the first thing that Sir Topham says, it's good to see the bakery crates, and that Elizabeth... Are safe and well.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Mentioning
1: the bakery goods and the crates first before Elizabeth.
0: I can understand why Elizabeth has always been a little bit rude to him. I have got two little bits of trivia left for this episode. Only two? Yeah. Okay. And only two more. We've of covered the rest. One, this is the last episode in the US dub to say the word Christmas until series 17. Mm. Because then, you know, you've got the mountain adventure instead of the Christmas adventure. That sort of same idea carries over. And yep. uh, it's the last episode written by Robin Charteris until series 13, when oh, we well. return in full CGI. And the episode in particular is Percy's Parcel.
3: No, the other thing that interests me about this episode is speaking of, you know, Sir Topham Hatt's turn around and gone, ah, good to see the bakery crates have arrived, and Elizabeth is safe too. The funny thing is... When he says that Elizabeth's not showed up, he's like, the children won't get their puddings.
0: Yeah, that's the second time,
3: actually. Not the fact of, is my steam lorry safe that I originally learned to drive
0: in. Not this sentimental living being.
3: What I still think is like one of the most important parts of Christmas. A pudding
0: yeah but this is like not the only time he seems to have prioritized things and this is actually a sign of sort of the future of thomas to come where very simple situations have been blown out of proportion in importance because back in harold and the flying horse he goes oh you know a horse has fallen down the ditch if it doesn't get to the fate the children will be sad won't somebody please think of the children
3: anyway I gotta say, it is quite nice, you know, having another Elizabeth and Thomas-centred episode. I kind of enjoy the dynamic between them.
1: I wish we got more of it. Yeah. I very much like... They don't outright dislike each other. It's like, oh, I'm going to tolerate you, but I I wish we got more of that dynamic.
0: No, here's the thing. I really wish that in this episode we got more of that dynamic, because this very much feels like not two disjointed stories... But two disjointed halves of a story. Because you've got sort of the story of Thomas, who's not been really reliable and he feels really useless. Yep. And then he proves himself at the end by rescuing Elizabeth and dealing with the snow. Meanwhile, Hmm. Elizabeth has had this thing of being really snotty throughout the episode, but then gradually realising that, hey that the weather's actually really quite dangerous, and then getting her comeuppance from calling Thomas you know, unreliable when she is rescued by him. But these two characters, once they do interact and have some kind of relationship between each other throughout the story, it really just feels like that they were off doing their own thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: Because it, it could have been Percy that was sent off to help rescue Elizabeth. It could have been anyone. Yeah. And it's just for the plot of, okay, well, I'm really useful and you're not as reliable as you believe. It's just for that little kind of moral that Thomas is the one that rescues Elizabeth. Mm. So that's my biggest flaw with this episode. It is beautiful it's got really nice scene where Elizabeth crashes, love soda and snow. But the fact that it really feels like that these characters aren't interacting. Mm. Like, I feel we needed one more scene with Thomas and Elizabeth just to solidify their interactions throughout this episode.
3: You know what this sounds like, Connor? What? This sounds like you're prepared to give a rating.
0: I am prepared to give a rating. M, Lachlan, we're good? I think we should move on to ratings. Okay, then. This episode is visually beautiful, and it has got the return of Elizabeth and Terence. I'm not going to dock points for it being the last appearance of Terence or Suttery Castle. In fact, I may give points for it being the last appearance of Suttery Castle, just despite M. <laughs> its story is way too weak to my liking. It feels like that the characters are just too disjointed. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a 3.5. Whoa. So,
3: so this episode really does let you down. It does. I'm guessing the discussion we had a few episodes ago where we discussed the three different types of episodes. There's the ones that you can watch and listen to. There's the ones you can watch but have something else playing. And there's the ones you can listen to but not watch. Hmm. I'm guessing this is one of those, you would watch it again for the visuals and that's it?
0: Exactly. So let's move on to you, M.
3: I'm kind of disappointed that it's the last time I see Suttery Castle, just because it's a set that I like. But I'm not going to let that affect my ratings. What I will let affect my ratings, though, is I agree. The story's just... It feels very lacklustre. It feels, late. It feels forced, in my opinion. There's too much that could have been altered and you wouldn't have felt any different about the episode, I reckon. For example, like Percy or James going to pick up Terrence. I-, I can't give it much more than you.
0: I can only really give it a four. We're looking at lower averages here. Lachlan, will you side with us or will you break the ice?
1: I- I'm basically just going to echo the points you guys have made. It's a very lackluster episode. It- it's almost as-, as if nothing happens. Uh, it could probably go back to the writing board and, you know, Something with a bit more substance happens, I think I'm gonna have to give it a four. Okay,
0: then. It's a fairly low rated
1: episode. It is. It's probably not a very memorable one either.
3: I gotta admit, just before we reviewed it was the first time I've seen that episode. What? (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that, yeah, and the fact that it leaves me feeling like this, it's,
0: yeah. So I've watched it a few times. Yep. Only you've watched it once. And we've got the same opinion. we've got the exact same opinion. Like, I feel that really speaks about it.
3: It really does, yeah. You're right.
0: The episode isn't so trusty. Oh! Just like the next episode.
1: Trusty Rusty.
0: Lachlan, what are we about to hear in the clip?
1: Uh, In the next clip we're about to hear, Rusty is warning the other narrow-gauge engines that the old wooden bridge isn't very safe to cross over. But, uh, Duncan does not heed his advice.
2: The engines were waiting for their coal when Rusty arrived. Don't use the old wooden bridge, said Rusty. It's dangerous. How would you know? Whish, Duncan. You're only a diesel. And he puffed crossly away. He didn't even wait for his coal.
0: The reckless rockin' and rollin' renegade of the rails, Duncan, is once again not heeding the advice of the little friendly orange diesel... Rusty. Like, I mean, Duncan, he obviously knows what's best. Yeah. Nothing horrible is going to happen to him later on this episode. Of course not. So, M, Hi. Give us the episode synopsis.
3: So, firstly, as this episode opens, we see Rusty travelling around the uh, Scarlowy Railway, and he's doing what he does best, inspecting things, because he's the inspection diesel. And he comes across the old wooden bridge... His driver leans out and realises that a few of the beams are starting to crack, so they race off and head to the yard to tell the other engines. While Rusty's there, Duncan thinks, uh, ah, that's nonsense, what would you know? And, uh, huffs off without taking any coal. What happens is, Rusty then goes and tells the Fat Controller about the bridge, and his driver actually sets up a line-closed sign, meaning the engines have to travel a different way to get home. Meanwhile, Duncan's gone, and he's realised, oh no, me not taking coal, that wasn't the best idea. He pulls up to a bunker next to Scarloe, and Duncan realises there's no coal in the bunker. And he essentially turns to Scarloe and says, I'm going to crush that wooden bridge. To which his driver then adds... One trip across that bridge wouldn't hurt. Afterwards, uh, he heads off and heads towards the old wooden bridge. Duncan's driver getting out and moving the sign. Scarlowe then sees Rusty a bit later and tells Rusty, Hey, Duncan's going across the bridge. You better go and check he's alright. To which he speeds off to find Duncan sitting on the bridge with no steam, no coal, and no hope of getting off this bridge except for Rusty, because the bridge is starting to crack under Duncan. So Rusty edges forward, chain the two engines together, and Rusty heaves and hoes, pulls Duncan back just before the bridge collapses. And then we finally see the little engine sitting in the shed, the Fat Controller's telling Duncan off once again,
0: and once again Duncan's thanking Rusty for saving him. The first thing I'll start with is that this story is very, very reminiscent of rock and roll. The Railway Series story and the Series 4 episode. Because mm. you start with an explanation of Rusty's work and what he does. Yep. Rusty mentions a dangerous part of the line. Duncan dismisses Rusty because he's a diesel. Duncan has an accident. Scarlowe tells Rusty to go rescue Duncan, Rusty saves Duncan, and Duncan is thankful to Rusty and apologizes for his behavior. Mm. When broken down in that paragraph there, they are the same story. It's word for word the same story. Mm. However, this episode I feel has put a satisfying enough twist on it that I'm not mad that it's reusing the same plot. It does upset me slightly, but it's
3: not enough to warrant feelings of disappointment or anger in my head. It's
0: another rock and roll. But I enjoyed rock and roll, so... More the merrier. Pretty much. (laughs) Now, Trusty Rusty by James Mason. It is the last Skyloy Railway episode in Series 7. And also the last Skyloy Railway episode until Series 9. But what I find really interesting here... Is the parallels in the Scarlowy episodes of Series 7. Because we start with the Scarlowy Railway episode, The Old Bridge. Mm. And we actually see Rusty crossing the old bridge in this episode. And then one shot later, we introduced to the old wooden bridge. That's also a trestle bridge that has a bump in its track.
3: They're very good at having old wooden bridges that have bumps in their tracks, aren't they?
0: Honestly, they need to convert them to stronger and more resilient materials.
3: Like stone
0: viaducts. Or metal. Or
3: stone viaducts. Sorry, I really love the uh, narrow-gauge viaduct. You
0: you love stone viaducts. I love stone buildings in general.
3: That's maybe why I love Suttery Castle
0: so much. (laughs) Now, this episode, it is good. I do enjoy the actual entire collapsing of the bridge itself because it's constructed using very small bits of rectangular balsa wood. And it very much looks like that each individual part of the bridge is just sort of held there together by itself. Which means when the crash occurs or the individual planks fall apart, it is really satisfying to watch. Mm. In fact, there's brilliant editing for when the bridge collapses itself, because you see Rusty and Duncan back away from the bridge, and just when they're off it, it collapses. And you might assume that that was just perfectly timed. However, if you watch it frame by frame, you can see that it's a crossfade into a different shot where the bridge starts to collapse. Mm. But what this episode doesn't do well is that I... Always forget that Duncan is running out of coal. I think it's silly Duncan storming off without getting coal when
3: uh, Rusty's mentioned that the bridge is out and he says, surely you'll be perfectly
1: fine. Come on, trust him.
3: He's a maintenance diesel. He would it's know his these job. things better than you.
1: <laughs> There's something that doesn't make sense to me as well. Like, Duncan runs out of steam in the middle of the ridge. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Which perfectly. is always plot convenient. But when you think about it, how long has he had no coal for? Yeah, like, so... Like, the bunker will be empty, and the fireman has used the last, you know, shovelful of coal, and then they're just going to, like, go about their business with just that fire going on as it's cooling. And a fire takes a long time to cool down, especially if it's in an enclosed space like a fireball. So that's taken hours for it to cool to a point where it just can't make steam pressure and Duncan is perfectly stopped in the middle of a bridge.
3: Not necessarily. So from someone who's experienced a bit of actually, like, firing steam logos and driving little miniature trains, you'd actually be surprised how quickly it can happen. Like, that—that that is oh. actually fairly accurate. You think about it, Duncan's boiler isn't that big. And if you don't touch the fire for, like, about his size, I'd say half an hour, 45 minutes, it will go cool. Like, the fire will die down, and you won't be producing the heat you need to send through the boiler to make the steam. So the heat won't be travelling through the boiler to warm the water,
0: which then creates the steam. Actually, on that note then, if it takes for him roughly 45 minutes to run out of steam Mm. after his last bits of coal have been used up... It's just a guess. An approximation. But anyway. I'm going to trust your judgment here, okay? Trust EM. Now, the Tathlin Railway, it's roughly, if you're taking an engine along it, it takes you about an hour and a half, more or less. Mm. And along that journey, they've got three, four, five different places where you can fill up on coal. So the other thing I did take into account was if we left Duncan sitting still.
3: Moving around, he's using steam, and usually you kind of use some steam to use what's called a blower to draw the fire through, to draw the heat through to create more steam.
0: Hmm. So they'll be using more energy.
3: Because his fire would have died down, and they're still using the steam that's there. And, yeah, it will cool off a lot quicker if you're
0: using it as opposed to if you're just sitting there and the fire's died down. So... Yeah, but, but even then, assuming that it's got half the amount of time... If he was moving, mm. he still would have passed one or two calling bunkers and slaves, assuming that they've got the same amount of distance between them as on the Tarleton. My, my point that I'm making here is that there appears to be a completely unrelated sub-story here about a coal shortage on the Skarloey Railway.
3: Ooh. Either that or they just expect engines to take coal at the start of the day and
0: not run off without even then but a lot of the time coal slaves are kept relatively well stocked Mm. so for one coal slave to be completely empty as when duncan sculler we get there that's a curiosity but for the potential two or three that duncan has already passed since he started his day and left rusty then there's a great coal shortage. I mean, the
3: other thing is, we also don't know how far it was between the uh, position where Duncan and Scalloway saw each other and the next coal bunker, which was the other side of the wooden
0: bridge. A slight note, though. Yes. Whilst it wouldn't be optimal, if you were in a pinch for steam, could you not use wood? It wouldn't be best. It'd take a lot more wood to try and sustain the fire, but yes. <clears throat> why
3: didn't he just take the uh, handrails off the side of the old wooden <laughs> bridge to keep going?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Imagine if the driver and fireman had little hatchets and just starts hacking off. Oh, well, it's going to fall anyway, so we'll just hack off bits. To them.
0: <laughs> They're there at the bottom of the bridge with a big lumberjack so- axe just chopping the supports <laughs> out. So that's why the bridge really fell down. <laughs> that's why... Yeah, the thing is, is that there was just actually just a tiny little crack on it from, like, water damage.
3: Guys, we solved the mystery.
0: It was Duncan's enabling an idiotic crew that then decided to just start
1: hacking it to pieces. You see, the reason why the bridge fell is because... The same thing has been happening to every other engine. They've been getting to that point where they have no <laughs> coal. Out of coal. So the driver and fireman of each engine will be like, huh, oh, we'll just stop at the bridge. We'll just ta- just take a little bit of the bridge. Just just chuck it j- in j- there so we can no get." No one run. will notice. That's no
0: one will point. notice. No
1: one will notice. Nah, the bridge won't. Rusty, fall at all. being the
0: only diesel, of course, isn't aware of this. No.
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: <laughs> there there is an interesting
3: uh, idea I would like to throw into the fray, and that's actually to do with the title of the episode. Okay. I believe there is a Series 4 story that the name of which would be much more suited to this episode. Oh. The uh, Series 4 episode, Rusty to the Rescue. I think the title would work well here, because it actually shows him rescuing Duncan from falling off the bridge
0: no i'm i'll I'll actually agree with you there i still think rusty to the rescue is a brilliant title for rusty to the rescue but i definitely like the idea of this episode also being called rusty to the rescue yeah isn't too creative of a name nor as creative as trusty rusty yes but it is a lot more understandable it's a lot clearer It's got the alliteration of the two R's. Exactly. I just feel, yeah, it it would be a much
3: more suited name. So, there's a couple more interesting things about this episode that uh, I'd like to bring up, if that's okay.
0: Yes, go ahead.
3: It is the last episode to feature the Fat Controller as the controller of the Scarlowy Railway. Next time we see the railway, it's under the Thin Controller. Yes, Mr. Percival. And... It is also the last appearance, via stock footage,
0: of Stepney until Series 12's Rosie's Fun Fair special. Yeah, because right at the start of the episode we see Stepney and Rusty in the Bluebell Valley. Exactly. But, with all this Mm. said and done, I think we should now review James Mason's Trusty Rusty. Okay. Em, why don't you go
3: first? I, I would be more than happy to go first. I love the uh, footage because anything Narragage usually gives us nice scenes. I don't mind the story here. I think it's fairly similar to Rock and Roll, and Rock and Roll is a fairly good episode. The whole thing that does kind of uh, disappoint me a little bit is the Cole situation with Duncan, and Duncan's driver essentially being an enabler. We're not going to go top marks here because there are a couple of disappointments, but I reckon about a seven and a half out of 10. Okay. Okay. Lachlan, what about you?
1: Yeah, no, I, I I do enjoy a good narrow gauge episode. Yes, the the visuals are quite nice, especially with the bridge itself. Mm. The bits fall off and they fall into actual water, and it creates a splash. I mean, I, I think that's that's really the only part I'm drawn to. But other than that, based off the whole bridge sequence alone, because I remember I remember this episode sticking out to me as a kid. I actually remember recreating the events of this with I think it was my take-alongs or something. But um, seven. I'll, I think I'll give it a seven. Okay, very then. nice.
0: So, Connor. Connor, Mm it's all down to you now. I always like a good Rusty story, and I feel Rusty... Whilst this isn't the best Rusty story, it is certainly a good one, and every character in this feels like that they are doing what they would do. The only issue I do have is with that Cole plotline, because I often forget about it until one or two scenes later. And the episode also, for some reason, just feels really fast to me. But the visuals are amazing, the crash is spectacular, and it does put a nice twist on what is a classic story. So for that, I'm going to side with Lachlan and give it a 7.
1: Yeah, very good. We have almost the perfect Toby. Now,
0: we, we do our musical interludes, and we felt like that we needed something... Grandiose. Yeah, something grandiose, something special, because Series 7 is very much considered to be the end of the classic era of Thomas. Mm. Because this is the end of the classic series, which is very much considered to be the end of a lot of original Thomas, we decided to do something grandiose, spectacular, calling back to all the original days of Thomas. And for that, Lachlan has suggested this wonderful musical interlude for all you guys.
1: What we're going to be listening to is uh, the BBC Orchestra performing the original theme, Tom's the Tank Engine, performed in 2015. Probably the most appropriate way to put a cap on it because these are the last episodes that we are ever going to hear the original classic opening by Michael O'Donnell and J- Junior Campbell. You're
0: listening to the Right on Track podcast.
3: Absolutely wonderful performance of the BBC Concert Orchestra playing the original Thomas and Friends theme. You're still listening to the Ride on Track podcast with M, Connor, and Lachlan, and we've come to the very last episode of series 7, where we actually get to hear about something involving a race, some eggs, and some spoons.
2: Hello Thomas! "'Whistled Percy. "'I'm taking the fat controller to sports day. "'You can see the egg and spoon race,' chuffed Thomas. "'I didn't know eggs and spoons had races.' "'The children race with eggs and spoons,' said Bertie. "'And the winner gets a medal.' "'I wish I could get a medal.' "'You'll need to win a race first, whistled Percy. "'I'll race you, Thomas.' The first one to the station is the winner. You're on, whistled Thomas.
1: Ready, steady, go. And so, Thomas and Bertie are racing off once more as Thomas wants to try and win a medal. Connor, would you mind giving us a synopsis on this episode?
0: Of course, Lachlan. Three Cheers for Thomas by Jan Page. Final episode of Series 7 and the Classic Era. What happens is that it's a wonderful day on Sodor and... All the school children are having their annual sporting festival. Thomas hears that you get to win a medal and be number one. He's already number one, so why doesn't he win a medal? Percy mentions to Thomas that he needs to win a race in order to get a medal. So Thomas and Bertie race off once more. They're going through crossings, over bridges, through tunnels, at stations. And Thomas is leading until he spots... Sir Topham Hatt who's flagged him down because he's been rather forgetful and left the medals behind in his office. Thomas forgets all about racing Bertie and thinks only of the children as he races off to Knapford, picks up the medals and goes off to the sporting festival where he gets there in time to hand out the medals to the winners of the contests. At the end of it all, Thomas is waiting at the station when Bertie arrives with all the schoolchildren and Sir Topham Hatt arrives as well. A little boy clambers up to the top of Thomas and hangs round his funnel, his very own medal, and it's hip hip array, 3 cheers for Thomas, the number one tank
1: engine. And thus ends the golden era of Thomas and Friends. Yep,
0: it's over. Okay, guys, see ya. Time to pack up. Uh... Oh, we're not even reading this one. Oh, okay. no, yes, we are. So... <laughs> Going straight out the gate, I have always been harsh to this episode. I've always felt Three Cheers for Thomas, or Hooray for Thomas, as it's known in the US, was not a fitting end to Series 7 or the classic era. But after rewatching it now with more modern eyes and properly reviewing it as an episode, I actually like it.
3: Do you want to know something, Connor? What?
0: I used to like it, and
3: I've kind of gone the opposite way to you. I feel like it's not as fitting an
1: end as we could have
0: had. And Lachlan, are you going to complete the trifecta of the Goldilocks opinions here?
1: I'm kind of on the fence about it. Yes, because, you know, we end with the titular main character uh, being number one uh, and being the hero of the story, but also... Just not the situation.
0: Before we even go into the reviews, I've gone, I used to dislike it, but now I like it. M has gone, I used to like it, now I dislike it. And Lachlan, you are perfectly in the middle. We have got all three opinions here going into this. So, the first thing I have to say, the opening clip features your red balloon, Connor.
3: Yeah, it does. It's returned once more. Indeed. Indeed it has. Something else I really like about this episode, because there's some stuff I like about it, but I just don't feel it was a fitting end to the series. My favourite would be uh, Percy's line, where he's talking to Thomas and Bertie. He turns around and goes, I didn't know eggs and spoons had races. He's innocent and oblivious.
0: He's put two and two together and gotten six. It's Percy being that little bit young and naive. Yeah. His very early depictions, he he did mature quite quickly, but I do like how he can sometimes be that little bit younger. He is the young child that no one listens to.
1: As I said earlier, there are a few little things that are harkening back to the earlier seasons. Like, Percy's matured a bit and, but, and probably got a little more intelligent, but I think the writers were like, We've got to put in these little nuances that, you know, sort of call back to series one and two. Mm, Another
0: massive reference in this is actually Thomas and Bertie racing. Yeah, correct. Something back in the fourth book of the railway series, Tank Engine Thomas again. And that was when Thomas and Bertie had their first race. And of course, we do sometimes see them racing a few times, but this is the second time it's been a, a proper race that they've had. And even the situations that they encounter are the same. Thomas spots Bertie crossing over the bridge. Thomas needs to stop at the station and is worried he'll be late. Bertie is fuming at the level crossing gates as Thomas speeds by him. Even the music is a reference because the music that plays when they're racing is an instrumental version of the song Let's Have a Race Mm. by Mike and Jr. Campbell, which was based on... Thomas and Birdie's first race. So, well, there's a thing in this episode
3: that really doesn't make sense to me. Actually, there's two. Percy mentions he was excited about taking the Fat Controller to sports day, but when we see the Fat Controller next, he's in his car. That is a very good point. I didn't realise that. The other thing is, when Thomas goes back to get the medals, he's got Annie and Claribel there, and they put the medals in Thomas's cab. Which would have been very tight and squishy as it is. Why not put them in Annie or Clarabel? They can
0: carry passengers or luggage and a guard.
3: Exactly. So why not carry medals?
0: Opening the door would take too much time.
1: They were in a hurry.
3: Handing them to the driver and having him to find a
0: spot for them? That would take too long. What really jars me about this episode? Like, like I see it and I'm like, oh... Yeah, that's right. I'm in a Series 7. Other medal props. Because the medals themselves just have a great big hulking face of Sir Topham hat on it. This is my island. I'm the fat controller of this railway and my face shall be on everything. I understand it from, like, for production, we'll put Sir Topham Hatt's face there. and He's just the director of a company. He's not the mayor. It's the only reason that I could see why his faces should be on them would be if he has somehow financially supported the sports day and he's gone, well, you know, the only way I'll support this is that if my face is on the medal. Like, he's had custom medals made with his likeness on them. Yep. It's very egotistical, I feel. There is something about this episode that you may not have noticed, but it is a major first for a character. Bertie's eyes are moving on their own.
3: They are. They've fitted some awesome sci-fi technology to Bertie's eyes.
0: Throughout the entirety of Bertie's existence, his eyes have always moved by individually moving the eyes with like sticking a toothpick into the eyes and moving them around this is the first time that his eyes actually move in a shot it's absolutely amazing
3: i love it i am all about that so there is at Mathway in this episode there's a poster the poster is for the London, Midland, and Scotland Railway. Oh! The original LMS, one of the big four of Britain.
0: Yes, so for those that aren't as railway-centric, back in the more corporatized age of steam, in the United Kingdom, there were four major railway companies. You had the London, Midland, and Scotland. LMS. You had the
3: Southern Railway, which was abbreviated to SR. You had the Great Western Railway, which was GWR, and you had the London North Eastern Railway.
0: LNEA. Exactly.
3: Eventually, when British Railways took over, they amalgamated
0: all four into British Railways. Mm. But you're saying that there's a poster for the LMS. There is an
3: LMS poster at Maithwaite in this episode.
0: Okay, but like, like, hang on, isn't like a real life poster that actually exists? Yes,
3: yes, it is a real poster. It's an interesting crop of a full poster, but
0: it is one of the original LMS London by rail posters nonetheless. Hang on, but the thing is, is that, like, those posters in real life were actually relatively large, which means that they had to specifically make this poster small.
3: Yeah, so they no doubt would have cropped part of the poster
0: and then give it a new LMS bottom. This is one reason why I love Thomas so much. The effort to go to just to make one railway poster. Yes. That is very blurry in the shot. Most definitely but
3: for those keen-eyed, you can pick it up.
0: Hmm. Now, before we jump to the reviews, yes. I would like to briefly touch on the ending scene of the episode. So, where they're at Maythwaite? Yep, and Thomas is given the medal, and it's the final scene of the classic era. Mm. Whilst on one hand, it doesn't feel too special... The music is so well done. And having it being the titular character is being given a physical, tangible reward. Everyone's gathering round. Three cheers for Thomas. It is really sweet. And it really makes me happy. I will note though, I think the title itself is a reference.
3: The three cheers for Thomas title?
0: Yes, three cheers for Thomas title. Because reading thomas and bertie from the fourth book of the railway series taken to thomas again mm. they've got a specific quote at the end of the story oh. when thomas has won the race the passengers gave thomas three cheers and told the station master and porters all about the race when bertie came in they gave him three cheers too. Uh, Ah. Like, I mean, of course, giving someone three cheers is is typically a general term, but considering how many more similarities there are to Thomas and Bertie, I would not be surprised if the title of the episode came from that line. I think you might be right there.
1: It still goes back to my theory that the writers were like, all right, we're just going to look at the bunch of the first episodes and put in as many little things as we can into these last few episodes.
3: And so with that... I think it's time to move on to the final review for Series 7. The final time we will review an episode from the Golden Age, I guess you could call it. Mm. And Lachlan, I believe because you are on the fence, you should start us off.
1: Okay. So, like I said before, all the little references to earlier seasons, uh, that band with Bertie and Thomas, that warms my heart. Because, as we say, it's the end of the golden era of Thomas. The thing that I don't like though is Thomas getting medals for children. They could have put a better cap on the end of this season. Like it, it should. I feel like it should have been a gathering with Thomas and all his friends.
0: So something with more urgency. Then yeah. the children will be sad.
1: Exactly, and it's just a bit lackluster. I, I, I would have liked to have seen all all, all our favourite characters come together at the end of the season as a sort of goodbye, I guess. Mm. But that being said, it, it's probably to do with corporate stuff. They're like, okay, you gotta you gotta do this for this episode. No, we 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 won't let you do that because you know corporate. I think out of ten, I'll I'll give an eight. It's a pretty Ooh. it's a pretty good episode. So
3: I feel what you both have said is completely reasonable, and there's not a lot else I can add. It, it the urgency is just not there for me. It is absolutely beautiful, it's amazing, we finally get to see Birdie's Eyes move on screen without edits, but it's just disappointing. The last of the classic era could have ended a bit more, with maybe the entirety of the original seven. Yeah. Like, even if Thomas had been given the medal in front of the other engines at the shed, I feel that that would have been a much
0: better way of ending this uh, episode in this season. What would have been cool would be if they had to do some kind of relay with it. They had to give the box to Gordon, Gordon gave it to Henry, Henry gave it to Toby, Toby gave it to Thomas. I completely agree there, Connor. And look, I'm not going
3: to say it's a bad episode because it's not. I just feel for the final one of Series 7, it's not as fitting as we could have had. And with that,
0: I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I guess I'll go lucky last. I I stated at the start that I I originally disliked it. I've now gone into it as I've grown to like it. And now I'm actually starting to dislike it again. Oh, oh. (laughs) Whoops, sorry. Uh, I'm starting to fluctuate but because, no, you're you're right. This episode could have done with more urgency. And the the medals still really irk me. What would have been better is if they just had the number one on it, the same style that Thomas. Yes. Like, that would be a thousand times better. But uh, it's got so many good references to the early stories And the music, especially in that ending scene, just works so well. So with that, I'm going to give it a 7.75. Ooh, okay. All right, all right. And that brings us to the end of series seven. Now, of course, with it being the end of a series, there are plenty of trivial facts that go with it. Indeed, Such as crew members... Mm. M, would you like to start off?
3: So this is the very last
0: episode to be directed by David Mitten? The director since the start of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. David Mitten would have no further involvement with the show. It's also the last episode to be produced by Phil Furl, who would have no further involvement of the show. Last episode to have Peter Urie as executive producer, who would have no further involvement with the show. And the final episode to have Britt Allcroft as script consultant, who would have no further involvement with the show. All all four of these people have basically been with Thomas since the very beginning. And now, at the end of Series 7, it's a quiet shuffling off. Mm. It is the last
3: episode as well. And this will be interested to any people that have an interest in the film industry. It's the Mm. very last episode. That is recorded on 35mm film. Oh. Ah. It seems after this we
1: move into a more digital age. Yeah, you noticed that as well, because in the next season everything's a lot smoother. I'm pretty sure it's 60 frames, isn't
0: it? The frame rate changes, the resolution changes, everything mm. does. Yeah. This is also the last episode to have music composed by Moko Donald and Junior Campbell in the UK.
1: Which is probably the biggest loss.
0: Yeah, and because of that, it's also the last episode to use the original opening credits from 1984, because from Series 8 onwards, it will be replaced with the engine roll call.
1: Mm. Although, don't get me wrong, I do enjoy the uh, the engine roll call. Mm. Yeah, it's a bop, it's a bop. Also, uh,
0: something a little bit more specific to Three Cheers for Thomas, uh, last episode written by Jan Page. Mm-hmm who also wrote Emily's New Coaches, Toby's Windmill, Fergus Breaks the Rules, and then Three Cheers for Thomas. So four very strong episodes with Jan Page there. Mm. It is also
3: the last episode in the Galane era, and it is the very last episode to have a runtime of only 4 minutes and 30 seconds.
0: Yeah, as after this they would nearly double it as they move to a seven-minute runtime in terms of the actual storytelling in the episode itself that's discounting the three minutes of credits and theme tunes and songs that they have so after 19 years this is really an end of an era for thomas and friends it is a lot of the original people have gone a lot of the music is changing a lot of the people and voices are changing throughout it and a lot of the storytelling and what occurs is changing and shall be changing more in the future and i for one am actually quite excited for it as much as i do love these classic episodes the future of it has got so much to offer Mm. it's got some really memorable episodes such as percy in the flying carpet thomas and the tuber you, you get to series nine and you get characters such as mighty mac and fearless freddy from this point onwards whilst there are plenty of one-off stories and events they are really fun and i'm really looking forward to reviewing them when we get there I'm
3: looking forward to the next few episodes, the next few series.
1: A lot of exciting
0: stuff still to come. And with that, we come to the end of episode 58 of the Right on Track podcast. We will return soon in the future where we cover our various reviews. We'll have some content being processed in the meantime, though, so that we don't go too long without your Right on Track fix. If you want to catch up with us on social media, you can reach out to us on Twitter at OnTrackThomas, our Instagram, T-T-T-E underscore right on track, our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash right on track Thomas Podcast, or our email, right on track Thomas at gmail.com. M Rocklin, thank you so much for joining me for the review of these episodes.
1: That's not a problem.
0: You're
3: very welcome, Connor we couldn't have let it happen by yourself
0: but
5: i'm afraid that's it for another season of right on track and it may be your last ah, an intruder that's right connor jonas it's me Callie fan from the thomas talk podcast tom talk sorry the the one you know the 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 Thomas podcast that was around before right on track
0: nah sorry mate I don't know what you're on about
5: (laughs) how's that for ignorance well I've come back with a vengeance I'm going to take my rightful place back in the host chair and be the ultimate Thomas podcast host (laughs) just you
0: wait until Denim and Parry hear about this.
5: (laughs) Oh, you got me good there. I'm well aware that they're nowhere to be heard or seen. I've sent Parry on a wild goose chase, and Denim is lost in the depths of the Australian bush. Neither of them will be coming to your rescue.
0: It's a good thing I came prepared, then. I've got Lachlan and Em here to help me out. (laughs) Do
5: you really think I'm gonna let you get away with that this easily? I have a special plan for you three.
0: And what might that be?
5: I'm banishing you to the Shadow Realm! Wait! No! (laughs) Listeners, hi, hello. Yes, you, especially you. I know you were trying to fall asleep to this and you're still awake. Sorry. From now on, there's going to be a bit of a new agenda. And I will reign as the supreme podcast host, once and for all. See you
4: soon.